I'll start this morning by uh, giving everyone a warm welcome, and we need a warm welcome this morning, don't we, because the seasons have definitely turned and it is autumnal, I think, but especially a warm welcome this morning on Mother's Day and especially a warm welcome to all of you ladies among us who are mothers. Now, without any further ado, we're going to get into our service. I want to start by reading a verse of Scripture from Psalm 1. In fact, it's the first couple of verses from Psalm, well, from the Psalms. It say, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his Lord, law they meditate day and night. And we're going to do that today in both word and in song. So I invite you to stand as we start our time together, uh, as we sing together. Let's stand.
be seated. Please be seated. And can I uh, once again extend a warm welcome to those of you who are joining us uh, on this special Mother's Day and an especially warm welcome to all the mothers and grandmothers among us here and also who are joining in online. So good to have you with us. Well, and because it is a special day and our culture recognises the importance of honouring our mothers and grandmothers, we're actually breaking from our normal proceedings today. So we started a series on Romans that we're going to be charting through for the remainder of term two, but not today. Today, we're going to take a break from that. And uh, Kath Clark is going to be bringing the message to us from 1 Samuel chapter 1, the story of Hannah and Samuel, which I'm looking forward to. I'm sure you are as well. So if you want to get your Bibles open in preparation for that, you are more than welcome to do that. Um, but right now we're going to begin our time or continue our time by praying a prayer of preparation as well as confession and then reciting parts of Psalm 103 together, which is one of my favourite psalms. So I invite you to join with me in this prayer of preparation, which you can see on the screen behind you. Let's pray these words together. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. And then to confess our sins. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have gone our own way, not loving you as we ought, nor loving our neighbour as ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed, and in what we have failed to do. We deserve your condemnation. Father, forgive us. Help us to love you and our neighbour, and to live for your honour and glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And friends, the good news is that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and so in response to that great news we're going to uh, recite some of the words of psalm 103 together which again i think will be up on the screen well let's let's say these words together in praise to god praise the lord O my soul all my inmost being praise his holy name praise the lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits the lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord. All his work everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. What a great psalm that is to begin with. Well, before we continue in our service, we've got some announcements, so I'll invite you to watch the screen and tune in to um, uh, the Good Looking Rooster.
node on these little business cards in the seat in front of you. We'd be especially keen for you to do that if we can help you out in any way. And for our members, we'd also like to remind you that you can give your offerings at the back electronically via an FPOS machine or by cash in the Lord's treasury box. Coming up real soon here at St Matthews is the Alpha Course, which is a safe place to explore the big questions of life, faith, God and meaning. Over eight sessions that include food, a short film and a discussion, you can share what you think with a small group of friendly people. Now when I say real soon, I mean the Alpha Course starts this Tuesday night, the 10th of May at 7.30pm. And it would be helpful for you to let us know that you're coming along and you can register for Alpha on the Alpha page on the St Matt's Manly website. Now at this point I really am talking to our regulars. We don't want a room full of Christians coming along to the Alpha course. Naturally, we do want you to come along if you're bringing a non-Christian friend or relative along with you. But if you've not yet invited someone, why don't you get your phone out right now? As in, right now, I'm giving you permission. Ask God to help you think of somebody you can invite along and send them a simple invite. The worst that can happen is that they'll say no. But the best case scenario is that someone's life might be transformed forever by hearing about God's love and grace. So do it. Invite someone. And I might even see you there myself. I think when the noise was turned off at the beginning, that really was some of my best work. Well, friends, one of the great privileges of the Christian faith is that we get to pray to our loving Heavenly Father in the knowledge that he hears us and indeed answers us, not always in the way that we expect or with the timing that we expect, but nevertheless, um, we pray and he listens and answers. So let's pray together right now. Loving Heavenly Father who listens to our prayers, uh, we've already recognised the various ways in which we've sinned against you, Lord, and we've asked for your forgiveness, and we know that you restore us once again into right fellowship with you. We just thank you for that. So grateful that through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we've got confidence to ask for forgiveness in his name, knowing that it will be granted. And on this Mother's Day, we want to give you thanks for those who enjoy good relationships with their mothers and grandmothers and the blessings that those relationships are. We also want to thank you for those mothers and grandmothers here who enjoy good relationships with their children and grandchildren and the blessing that those relationships are. But we ask that your spirit might pour peace into troubled hearts and bring gentleness into conversations where there are painful memories or strained relationships. We want to thank you overall for the blessing of mothers and we pray for wisdom and patience among all our mothers and grandmothers. For those women who have experienced the loss of a child or who have always long longed to be mothers and for whom this is not a day of complete celebration, we lament with them in the knowledge that you also see their anguish and that your loving comfort can help them endure those days that are lost to grief. Heavenly Father, we pray for our mission partner David Foshon and his work at SIM and uh, we particularly pray for strength and protection for Jung and Tin as they start their missionary service in a South Asian context. 
Thank you that David and his wife Michelle have been walking closely with this couple since 2015. Wow, what a lead up. We also pray for another couple, Joseph and Mary, as they prepare to go into a difficult mission situation. And we ask that Joseph's micro business of building guitars will provide opportunities to develop friendships with local villagers that will in turn lead to opportunities to share the gospel. And Father, there's an upcoming celebration event in Canberra and we're just asking that because of this event, Christians will be encouraged and spurred on to follow Christ in his mission right across the globe. And thinking about mission much closer to home, we want to lift up before you the Alpha Course that starts this Tuesday, as we've just heard. I want to thank you for just the many, many people that have given their lives to the Lord Jesus after taking part in an Alpha Course here over the years, but right across the globe for many, many years. We pray that your same spirit will be working in the hearts of those who have been invited. That they would firstly come along and that they'll be deeply impressed by the, the truths and the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for Suzanne Smith, one of our women's ministers, as she leads that course. We ask that you might give her stamina and wisdom. We also want to give you thanks for the many hands that help prepare and run the course each week. And we ask that you might be glorified through this term of Alpha. And Lord, this week we ask that you would help us to be consistent in our study and our prayer, that we might draw near to you each day, and that in turn we might uplift and encourage those around us, bringing glory and honour to you. Amen. And we finish by praying the words of the Lord's Prayer together. Let's pray these words together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I invite you to stand as we sing our next hymn together, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. And then Martin's going to bring the reading to us and then Kath will speak.
As the screen indicates, our reading this morning is from 1 Samuel 1. It's on page 267, for those of you who are in the church, and the Bibles will be in front of you. And as you look for that, might I explain that it was supposed to be my wife Margaret reading this morning. However, she's got a heavy cold and decided, uh, in her wisdom and love, not to come and cross-infect anyone. Um, her decision has nothing to do with the quite a few complex names that appear in this passage. That's what she said to me. Now, let you and I pay attention to what God is saying to us this morning from this passage. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to, to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made, wife, made love to his wife Hannah, 
and the Lord remembered her. So, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfil his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him, only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord. Thank you, Martin. I wish Margaret well. Hi, Margaret, if you're online. I'm going to pray before I start. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you that you are with us as we meet together. Enable me to speak clearly and truthfully from your word. And we thank you that your word addresses us in every and every situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, it's great to be here on Mother's Day and it's a privilege to be speaking to you all. I know that for many mothers this is a wonderful day, but I also know that Mother's Day can be a difficult one. You may be here having lost your mum recently or in the past. You may be here not really knowing your mum or having difficult memories and a or difficult relationship with your mother. You may have wanted to be a mum, and you can't. Today reminds you of past pain and present pain. I just want to acknowledge that. So it's worth asking the question, why do we celebrate Mother's Day? We celebrate Mother's Day because we've all had a mother. We wouldn't be here otherwise. It's a day to stop and remember that. And secondly, because mums are important, they have significant roles that they perform. I was at a 50th yesterday and somebody said, life doesn't come with a manual, it comes with a mum. Thirdly, it's a biblical thing to do. One of the Ten Commandments says, honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord is giving you, from Exodus 20. So on a day like today, it's a good thing to honour our mothers. And given that it's Mother's Day, I thought it would be good to look at one of the great women of the Bible who struggled significantly to become a mother. 
and to think about what we can learn from her. This woman is Hannah, as we've just heard Martin read from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. Today we're going to see three things. We're going to see Hannah's story, Hannah's faith, and Hannah's God. Before I start to unpack this account of this unknown, unsophisticated woman from the back blocks out in the country of Israel, I'm going to paint a canvas for a backdrop of what life was like so that you've got a fuller picture to understand the book of Samuel and especially the chapter that we're looking at today. As it were, I want to paint like big, broad brush strokes across an, a big canvas. We meet Hannah in 1 Samuel, chapter 1, just after the book of Ruth and Judges. And life in Israel was really tough. Socially and economically, life was based mainly around agricultural livelihood. The country had been through a long drought, which had only recently broken. And so there was a level of economic and social hardship. Politically, there'd been a series of leaders who were increasingly inadequate. They disregarded God, and many refused to follow God's ways. And as a result, Israel was constantly at war with the tribes of the Philistines. Their days were full of unrest, uncertainty, and lawlessness. Politically, Israel was in a big, fat mess, basically. Spiritually, no better. It was the darkest of times for them. They'd lost their way. They were doing their own thing. They were not trusting or following God. There was darkness, chaos, unrest, disunity, and it had been going on for 200 years. If you have a look at Judges, probably not today is the best day to read it, but it's just a shocker. The nations and the peoples were at their lowest ebb. They were really at rock bottom. And as we, the reader, start the story of Hannah, you could be forgiven for thinking that God had actually forgotten Israel and that he was not interested in what was happening. Have you ever been in a situation and you've thought, does God even know what's going on? Does he care? That's exactly the situation that Hannah faced in her day. As we look at the life of this great woman, we've got to remember that she's actually very insignificant. We're going to learn that God was at work in a far deeper way than what we see at first in this account. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to, I was going to write that page number down, Martin, what was it? 267. You can follow with me because I might get you to have a look at some different bits and pieces. So Hannah's story, as we've heard, she's married. She's married to a man named Elkanah, but she wasn't the only wife in the marriage. That in itself is a bit tricky. I'm not going to address that, except to say 
that every situation of polygamy in the Bible is exceptionally unhappy, and so I think that's a message from God already. But I defer to Bruce. So if you want to find out anything else, I'm just passing the ball on. Simply to put it, there's another wife in the family. And significantly, Hannah was unable to have children. It's almost like Hannah's life situation was a reflection of the spiritual state of the country. Empty, unable to bring life, a nation without future. But the other wife, she had lots of sons and daughters. It says in verse 4, all her sons and daughters. So it sounds like there was, you know, half a football team. That in itself would have been a very difficult gig for Hannah, getting up and doing all the tasks of the day alongside Penaniah and hearing the kids laughing and squealing and probably having a few punch-ups down the back and seeing them race around, helping out, eating all the food that she'd prepared, clearing up after them. You know, there's probably a cricket team of them around the table and knowing that she had no children and daily living with that, that would have created a deep pain in her heart. As we read, we get the feeling that this family arrangement is not very happy. Elkanah, the husband, is actually a good man. He has regard for God and a regard for God that the majority of Israelites didn't have. In verse 3, if you have a look, it says, Year after year this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Almighty God at a town called Shiloh. So he was thoughtful and diligent in his worship of God. This trip was meant to be a spiritual high point, sort of like our Christmas and Easter. It was a time to look back and to think about what God has done in the past and to look forward in anticipation of God's goodness to come. A time of joy, of extra special food, and a time where families could lay down significant and good memories. But this was so not the case for Hannah. As you read and as you heard, it was actually the opposite. I imagine she would have dreaded this time of year. Why? Let's have a look. Have a look at verse 6 with me. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And as you see in verse 7, it went on year after year. Can you imagine? It's not as if living daily with the reminder that you can't have a child isn't enough. She had the other wife deliberately plotting, planning to make her life more miserable, quipping, distressing and vexatious comments, all probably made while the husband wasn't around to pull her into line. Things like, how are you going with the packing to Shiloh, Hannah? That's right, you've only got a pack for one, don't you? Sorry, I forgot. The Bible tells us that comments made in front, that also there were comments made in front of 
everybody. And you can imagine Hannah listening to um, Paniah at the dinner table saying, oh, could you just move? The kids have to sit down. Oh, no, I can't do that. I've got to do this. Could you do this? I'm too busy. I've got all these children. And so it would go on until the Bible says Hannah wept and would not eat. She was miserable, empty. Actually, she was beyond sad. And remember that this was meant to be the high point of the year, happy celebrations, those times that you would reminisce when you were back, back in the country on the farm and life was a bit dull. Remember back at Shiloh? You know what you do with family gatherings. Sort of like us when we look back to what life was like before COVID. Remember when we could travel and a few other things? But not for Hannah, who was childless. Being childless in Western society in 2022 is difficult for husbands and wives who are unable to have their kids. It's very tough. But can I say this sensitively? Being childless in the ancient Near Eastern culture was actually worse. A family's economic status was directly tied to how many children you had. With farming life, having kids meant you had a greater workforce, which meant you could earn more money, which meant greater economic and social success. Result, greater security. Having lots of children was seen as a good thing because if your tribe, village or nation was at conflict with surrounding tribes or nations, then you had lots of men to help fight. So basically, having lots of children was essentially a matter of life and death. So the cultural pressure to have children would have been beyond enormous. And that there would have been a temptation, an enormous temptation, for a woman to find her identity and meaning through how many kids she could have. And so, for Hannah in her culture, she was regarded as a nobody. And that was Hannah's life. Let's look at how Hannah responds to this difficult set of circumstances. How her faith in God is actually the stabilizing force for her. So secondly, we're going to look at Hannah's faith. There are a number of things to note in this story. But first, I just want to say an interesting fact. There's been recent research to show that we as humans will mimic those around us. So if your friends are happy, you're far more likely to be happy. Translate that to this context. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions to Peninnah and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Hannah was deeply loved and she knew that. But she never used that against the other wife. The whole family would have seen her get more food. 
but she never, ever used it as leverage. Never. She knew what it was like to be mocked, to be insulted and ridiculed, but she never replied. She could have mirrored back the behaviour. She never reciprocated. She never retorted. She never mirrored back the unkindness of her rival. And I believe it was Hannah's deep faith that protected her from retaliating. She, secondly, she never ran to her husband for, for a defence. And I think she knew that God was a greater protector than her husband could ever have been. And that trusting God gave her strength, safeguard and shelter, more so than any husband could ever give. Thirdly, or secondly, I don't know, my numbers, sorry. It's interesting that Hannah didn't, um, never put herself above the time of worship and celebration that the family had. In verse 9, it says that they finished eating and drinking at Shiloh. After that, then she stood up and went to the house of worship. She didn't want to distract from the, the opportunity of the family together to celebrate and to give thanks to God, even though she was deeply distressed and unable to eat. She didn't allow her pain to prevent her family from their spiritual activities. Amazing. She could have refused to go to the special meal and created more discord in the family, but she didn't. When Hannah did go, after the feasting and celebrations, that's when she went to pray. And she did this with a very express purpose of wanting to pray. Let me read verses 10 to 16, and if you've got your Bible open, have a look. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, do not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will be ever used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So when Hannah comes in prayer, firstly, she comes in humility. Notice how she calls herself God's servant. She knew that she wasn't in a position of influence, to influence God, but rather she comes in devotion, in admiration. Hannah knew that her only hope in life was God. She went and prayed with all the emotions that she had not projected onto anybody else. 
Really interesting, isn't that? It says, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. You can almost hear the sobs and then the gasping for breath as she tries to compose herself and as she struggles to find the hem of her dress so that she can wipe away her tears. Let me ask you an important question. How do you deal with deep emotional distress? Do you stomp about or shake your fist at God? I've done that. Do you blame God or turn your back on him? I've done that. Do you withdraw from people or lash out at others, seeking to hurt those who've hurt you? Guilty. Or do you push it all down to the depths, pretending it isn't really that bad? I've done that too. But Hannah didn't do any of those things, even though they were all options to her. No, she goes to a place where she knows God's presence is. We have such a beautiful picture of how to pray when we're in distress. For ancient Israel, this was the tent of meeting where she would go to meet God. She chose to go there with her pain in the safety of God's presence. And she's honest with him. She went to pray in a place where she wouldn't be distracted and so that she could focus on God and pray intently to him. It's so easy to get distracted when you're praying these days, isn't it? She went, Hannah went to God. She went to the God that she knew and she pours her heart out to him. So for us in 2022, how does this translate? For me, the most wonderful thing is for us who live two and a half thousand years on after Hannah is that Jesus has come and he has secured for us the freedom to come directly into God's presence with any and all of our concerns. And Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 6, do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's no promise that the situation will be removed, but there is a promise that God will indeed listen, that God will care for you in the place in which you find yourself. There is a promise of protection of your hearts and your minds and of peace that defies earthly logic that that will inhabit your emotions and your thinking. Is this how you pray? Is this how I pray? Do you know God well enough to be able to come to him in every and any situation like Hannah. We've seen Hannah's life story. We've seen Hannah's faith. Let's have a look at Hannah's God. What happens after she prayed 
In verse 17, Eli answers after he kind of, you know, had to retreat. Pretty rude words they've spoken, but anyway. He says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant to you what you have asked of him. May your servant find favour in, in his eyes. And then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early in the morning they rose and worshipped before the Lord and then they went back to Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When Hannah prays, she begins by addressing God, Lord Almighty. This is Hannah's God. She acknowledges, firstly, his power, his supremacy, that he is above everything. Not like those, you know, carved out wooden idols that would have been rampant in all the villages round about in the ancient Near East world. And actually those, they, they had thinking that the idol could only cope with a certain amount of space. Whereas here, Almighty God is found everywhere. Complete contrast. Hannah knew that God was the most powerful being in the universe. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Secondly, she acknowledged that he is a God who sees. He saw her situation. He sees our situation. He is not blind to what is happening or disinterested. He's actually not busy off doing stuff somewhere else. He knows. And the very act of her praying tells us that she knew that God was listening, that he hears, and that he will act upon what he hears. I want you to remember that the act of praying is never futile. Thirdly, God answered her prayers. When she returned home from the temple, and in the course of time, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, Samuel. And he was to become one of the greatest prophets to lead Israel and to lead them to victory. That's not what she prayed for, but that's how God answered her prayer. We learn from this godly woman in the Old Testament who became a mother later in life that God cares that God is able. We need to be people who pray rather than complain or moan about the circumstances in which we find ourselves. Our God cares and our God is powerful. It's amazing. Hannah gives back to God her precious son. She gives up so much by doing this. The amazing thing is that in answering Hannah's prayer, God also answers the great need of a lost and desperate nation for a great leader who will not just be wise, but will be a person who brings the nation spiritually back to God. As we celebrate Mother's Day, 
Will each of you pray and give back your children or your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews? Will you give your families back to God? Praying for them to be used by God far beyond your expectations. Will you nurture them, teach them, guide them how to know and love God above all things, praying for them to be used by God far beyond your expectations because God might just answer those prayers. Amen. Thank you so much, Kath, for that. Uh, friends, we have a chance to respond in song, so I'm going to invite you all to stand and we're going to sing together.
finished, friends, we're going to stay standing. And I do want to say thank you again for joining us today on Mother's Day, especially if you've been a guest uh, or a visitor among us. It's been so nice to have you with us. Uh, I do want to invite everyone to join us for morning tea through this door here, across the courtyard and into the functional room where we can continue our fellowship together. But it's been such a good morning, hasn't it, to consider a story that we don't often think about. And do want to thank you, Kath, for bringing that to us. Uh, where we've not just remembered Hannah's story, but we've also thought about her faith and especially her God, who is powerful and able, who sees, knows, hears and cares and will also act in response to prayers offered in faith. And so, of course, there's an encouragement there for us to pray rather than complain, to lift our concerns rather than to moan and look and wonder at how we did that for Hannah and how we might just do something similar through us. Well, now, friends, as we finish, now to him who was able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. It's been a good morning. We'll see you again soon. Mm -hmm.